I'll begin this morning by returning to Ezekiel chapter 3 and reading from that chapter in verses uh, 16 and 17 to begin. And this portion describes a watchman for Israel. And it came to pass at the end of seven days that the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, I have made thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore hear the word at my mouth and give them warning from me. I'll read a few other verses from the Old Testament involving the use of the word watchman. And the second one I'll read is 2 Samuel chapter 18, verse 24. And David sat between the two gates. And the watchman went up to the roof over the gate unto the wall and lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, a man running alone. And so the watchman went up and to a higher place where he could see those things that he couldn't see from down below. And from that vantage point, he was able to see things, and he reported those things to David. Now, David was able to interpret, but David could not have interpreted without the words coming from the, the watchman or without the information provided by the watchman. And in Second Kings chapter 9 and verse 17, And there stood a watchman on the tower in Jezreel. And he spied the company of Jehu as he came and said, I see a company. And again, we see a watchman standing on a tower in Jezreel. And so, in all the examples of a watchman, they all involve being invited or being commanded to assume a place that is elevated from which they are able to see. This is also true in terms of those who are called to be watchmen in the body of Christ. We still have watchmen. And the watchman cannot see from a normal position, but needs to be commanded and invited of the Lord to move to a place from which vision is made possible. Isaiah chapter 21 and verse 6. For thus hath the Lord said unto me, Go, said a watchman, and let him declare what he sees. It was very clear from reading in Ezekiel that the watchman must declare and warn. The watchman must declare what is seen and what is heard, and he must then warn. Very severe consequences for failing to warn. These are very, very serious, irresponsible behavior on the part of a watchman who sees and hears and does not report what he sees and hears. Now, it's interesting that the climate that requires a watchman, climate or the circumstances that exist, presume a period of time when most are not able to see the things or hear the things that need to be heard and seen. And so a watchman then is called up to a place of vantage point. And from that place, the Lord reveals and shows and speaks and declares. Now, an awesome responsibility now rests with the watchman to speak clearly and warn. But the environment into which the watchman now speaks is not conducive and oftentimes is not friendly or welcoming to the message that is heard. It's frequent that the watchman is vilified accusations are brought against the person who speaks those things that are not 
seen by everyone else. There are punishments meted out. The watchman oftentimes will be called a hater, a person who is a judgmental person. Now, this is not intended to be understood literally, but the idea behind it is that there is such a rejection oftentimes to the message brought by the watchman because it is not commonly seen or heard that those who see, those who are called to be watchmen, that their tongues would be cut out or that their eyes would be gouged out. And this is the... This is an awesome responsibility and extremely difficult for any individual to be called to see and hear and speak a message that is not being welcomed and for which they will suffer punishment and accusation. And every effort will be made to silence them. And this is often the case. And it requires a willingness on the part of the watchman to forsake all and follow Jesus. And when his disciples talked to him, spoke to him before his crucifixion, he said, are you willing to drink from the cup that I am about to drink from? And are you willing to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said they were. They didn't understand in that moment exactly what they were saying they were ready for. But they weren't ready for it. But they felt they were ready for it. But there would be a cup from which they would in the future be required to drink. And there would be a baptism that they would be baptized with. And this was the cup from which Jesus drank and the baptism with which he was baptized. And it required a willingness to forsake all and follow him, follow the will of God for their lives, no matter what it meant, no matter where it led no matter what kind of opposition would be faced. And there's a very familiar passage in the Old Testament that says these, these words, and uh, it provides them, it says, Watchman, what of the night? And then again, Watchman, what of the night? And the idea that's being expressed is, Watchman, what time is it? What time is it now? During the night, what time is it? And the idea again would be, how long will it be until morning? So now in this moment in which we are in which we are living, in which we are experiencing, in which we are being equipped for what lies ahead of us, there is a need for many who would be called to be watchmen to go up higher, to be called to a higher place from which vision would be made possible, no matter what the result would be, a willingness to forsake all and follow Jesus. I'll begin this morning in Daniel chapter 10, and this uh, I'm going to read. begin reading at verse 7, just a few verses. And this follows a period of 21 days in which Daniel was fasting, and he so earnestly desired to know and to have revelation from God on various matters, and he entered into a period of time of fasting during 21 days, following which time he received a vision from the Lord. I want to read these first, uh, th- these three verses beginning in verse 7. And I want to read these because it points out the reaction of Daniel 
to what he's about to see. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision. But a great quaking fell on them, so that they fled to hide themselves. Therefore I was left alone, and saw this great vision. And there remained no strength in me, for my beauty was turned within me to corruption. And I kept no strength. Yet I heard the voice of his words. And when I heard the voice of his words, then I was in a deep sleep on my face, and my face was toward the ground. Now the reaction of Daniel is um, such a strong reaction. The reaction of others who did not see the vision, but a great quaking, he said, fell on them. And they were filled with fear and they fled to hide themselves. Daniel saw a vision of a man. He describes the vision of a man. And the vision of a man that he saw was so was so majestic, so holy, so pure. It uh, left a tremendous impact upon Daniel, so much so that the color drained from his face. His composure was lost. The strength left his body. And when he heard the sound of his words, he said a deep sleep, he fell into a deep sleep, he fell on his face toward the ground. Now, following this, he is addressed by the words of Gabriel, the angel Gabriel. There are many commentators who believe that the original vision he saw of the man was not Gabriel. It was someone that was superior to Gabriel, much superior to Gabriel. And then following this, as he is with his face to the ground, the words of Gabriel now, the angel Gabriel, begins to address him. Gabriel would appear later to Zechariah, John the Baptist's father. He would appear to Mary. And although Zechariah was very concerned at the appearance of the angel, yet his, uh, the impact on Zechariah was not exactly the same as was the impact on Daniel at the very beginning. The point is that from this moment on and the following verses, Gabriel now begins to address Daniel on various events, world events, that will take place. He begins with the rule of the Medes and the Persians. The reason I want to mention this this morning is because uh, in this progression of world uh, dominions or governments or kingdoms that involve the Holy Land, We come to an individual that we'll introduce in a moment. We come to an individual who is a type of Antichrist. And so I want to move through this and and come to finally a man called Antiochus Epiphany or Antiochus Epiphanes. And so Gabriel began now with the kingdom and the rule of the Medes and the Persians. He progressed through to the kingdom of Greece which was under Alexander the Great. He will describe the death of this great leader, whom later on we would find out and understand, and now we know, to be a description of of Alexander the Great. Following Alexander's death, his kingdom was 
The Grecian kingdom was divided into what we could say north, south, east, and west, four generals. The north, or Asia, was governed by Antigonus. The south, or Egypt, was governed by Ptolemy. The east, which would be Babylon and Syria, by Seleucus. And the west, or Macedonia, by Cassander. Now, in the Seleucid kingdoms, we begin with uh, Antiochus the Great. This is Antiochus III, and the angel Gabriel spends some considerable time addressing Daniel and talking about what will happen under the rule of Antiochus the Great. And then he proceeds through to another Antiochus that will follow Antiochus the Great. This is Antiochus IV. He is a very unlikely person. He um, manages to find himself and propel himself into the, into the kingdom by deception. He is an unlikely person. In his youth, he is a hostage in Rome for about 12 years. He's not named Antiochus. He will name himself Antiochus once he assumes the throne. Not only does he name himself Antiochus, but he names himself Antiochus Epiphanes. Now the word, the name Epiphanes means glorious or illustrious. It also can mean manifestation of God or God made manifest. This man, Antiochus Epiphanes, is a type of Antichrist. And we want to look at him carefully this morning because... In the period of time that we are in now, the spirit of Antichrist is very active in the world. We see a manifestation of the spirit of Antichrist now. And this is happening very, very rapidly. And it's essential that we understand what's happening right now around us. But the spirit of Antichrist that we are seeing increasingly made manifest now will eventually and ultimately result in the personification or the appearance of a man who personifies and who is known as the Antichrist. This will be a fulfillment of the type. And the type, of course, is Antiochus Epiphanes. But what we'll, the reason we're interested in Antiochus is that his life and manner of conduct the way in which he treated the Jewish people, the way in which he assumed uh, the kingdom. All of this will show us something about the nature of the Antichrist because the spirit behind both is the same. So let's look a little bit more closely at Antiochus Epiphanes. He was a very immoral person. He was known as exceedingly immoral and unclean. He was known for his uncleanness of all kinds. Also, he was described as a person with unnatural lusts, very perverse, perverted individual. He is described by many historians as a despicable person. And so we know that the Antichrist will be like this. Also, Antiochus was a violent persecutor of the people of God. And the Antichrist spirit is that way now. And the Antichrist that is to come, 
the personification of Antichrist, will be a violent persecutor of the people of God. Antiochus, he, he subdued Egypt to himself with a small number of strategically positioned people. And he was able to do this using deceit and pretense. And we're living in a period of time now where the use of deceit and pretense is growing around us. This movement that is growing now, very deceptive movement, that is calling for social justice, that is alleging systemic racism within certain groups of people, Anglo-Saxon people, the white race specifically, or law enforcement agencies, and accusing these agencies and these people groups of systemic racism is deceitful and deceptive, and it is a pretense. These accusations are not true in the way in which the accusations are being leveled. And yet there is a spirit of persuasion. There's a persuasive spirit that is capable of persuading many individuals who are not insightful people spiritually to believe these things. And we see people by the thousands, by the hundreds of thousands, being swayed by this kind of thinking. Also with Antiochus, he was uh, very skillful and he redistributed wealth very effectively. He would find out where the wealth was, he would steal it, he would make it his own, and after having made it his own, he would redistribute it among the common people, uh, very often among his soldiers. And in this way, he was able to gain a large number of numerical support among the people who, the have-nots of his time, the people who didn't have anything. And so he assumed a great following of individuals through this procedure of redistribution of wealth by stealing that which did not belong to him, giving it to others and in so doing, gaining their support. Does this sound familiar? It should sound familiar because you are seeing and hearing the very same tactics being used now. Antagonists would target places of wealth to possess. And he would, by deception and flatteries, and with the use of well-placed allies, would make that wealth his. Well-placed allies. The movement that is occurring today that is very much a part of the Antichrist spirit that is rapidly growing right now is in a similar way using well-placed assets and well-placed allies. And those allies now being used by this malevolent Antichrist spirit is the media, relatively small in terms of numbers, but extremely significant in terms of influence. Educators, again, smaller in numbers, but greatly influential, able to shape the minds of young people and those who would graduate from colleges and universities to think along certain lines, to prepare them so that now, as they're hearing all these accusations being leveled about systemic racism, violence, injustice about law enforcement agencies, they're willing to believe it. 
not only to believe it, but to join it and to be extremely violent in propagating it. Leading sports figures, individuals who are not incredibly aware and insightful individuals, but are skillful and are great athletes, and as a result have become multimillionaires. These individuals in mass are flocking to support these groups such as Black Lives Matter and social justice in all of its different groups. They are lining up before baseball games to bow the knee and to give voice to their support. They're wearing t-shirts, they're putting, doing advertising on behalf of this influence that is rapidly growing. The deception involved here is that the majority of individuals within our society are being accused by very influential minorities. And so the majority is being taken over by the minority. That's one of the things that happened under the kingdom of Antiochus. And he was able to do this very effectively and redistribute wealth and gain very popular support in so doing. What we see happening now is that the majority, I pray that this is not true, but it seems as if, if it's not true now, it will be, it soon will be true, that the majority have surrendered to this deceptive influence by the minority. When Antiochus Epiphanes was forced to retreat by the Roman forces, as he was attempting to take various islands that were part of the Roman Empire, and he was confronted and forced to retreat, he raged. And in his rage, he raged against the Holy Land and against God's chosen people, the Jews. He caused the daily sacrifice to cease in the temple. And he, set, and he set up and established the abomination that makes desolate in the temple in Jerusalem. And in so doing, he desecrated the temple in unspeakable ways, offering swine and swine's blood on the altar of sacrifice by conducting with his soldiers and others of his supporters very lewd conduct in the temple with women all kinds of immoral behaviors. He was able to corrupt apostate Jews. And he was able to do this by using fair words and flatteries and get them to join him in his attack against God's faithful ones. And he began to viciously punish the faithful. This is what the spirit of Antichrist will do now. The spirit of Antichrist now will viciously persecute God's people, Christians in this world, will be viciously persecuted. They already are being in various parts of the Eastern world, Africa, but increasingly this is going to occur in Western countries, Europe and North America. This is going to increasingly occur. And the... Christians will be punished and forced to recant. And those who are weak will, and those who are strong, will be willing to die, and their lives will be taken from them because of their faith in Christ. And this is what Antiochus did. 
He corrupted the apostate Jews and viciously punished the faithful. And the faithful Jews, they endured all sorts of the worst forms of persecution. And I won't go into the details. We could. I could go into the details of the persecution. But it's very gruesome. But they endured it until death and showed themselves faithful until death. And this awaits us in the future as this uh, progression of the spirit of Antichrist continues to manifest within our societies. This is what we will see. You can see it now. You can see the capacity for it. You can see the inclination for it. You can see the spiritual willingness to conduct themselves in such a hostile way towards God's people. You can see it now. But as this continues to get more uh, influence within our Western culture, then we will eventually see this personified in the person of an Antichrist. And we will see the fulfillment. But the things that we're able to see and understand in the life of the type Antiochus Epiphanes, we are now seeing and will continue to see as this movement grows. Antiochus would go on to elevate himself above every god and he would speak against the, the, the God of Israel. And he would uh, use blasphemous words against the God of Israel by elevating himself as the ultimate deity and authority. He would reject the God of his fathers. And in the message brought by the angel to Daniel, Gabriel's message is that as this moves right towards the end, that the Antichrist at the very end would reject the God of his fathers, as did Antiochus. In other words, to reject all true ideas of God that would be held by his fathers will be rejected. Also, it says that he would reject the desire of women. It could have many different applications, ways of understanding what is meant by rejecting the desire of women. But one thing is certain. The Antichrist spirit rejects the natural desires of women and promotes unnatural desires in women. And the unnatural desires that are promoted by the Antichrist spirit are promiscuity in all its ugly forms. Abortion is one that is an unnatural desire. It is a rejection of the natural desire of women to love their children and protect them with their own lives. And so we see this is rampant. The spirit of Antichrist is rampant within our society now. Antiochus would magnify himself by rejecting all authority, divine or human. And this is what the Antichrist spirit is doing now. And this is what the Antichrist personified will do in the future. Israel reject all authority. These movements that are occurring right now, the so-called social justice movements, are very lawless movements. They reject all authority. If authority tells them to do something, they will do the opposite. And they are proud of their rejection of authority. All orders of authority that have been made by their fathers, they are rejecting. And they intend to supplant it with something that they have 
made themselves and that they will enforce themselves. That's happening now. We see that happening now. Gabriel also said that the Antichrist would honor the God of forces, the God of strongholds or fortresses. And this was true of Antiochus because what he really worshipped was force. He worshipped strongholds. He worshipped fortresses. He relied upon power to impose his will. He was not interested in trying to persuade people. The idea of moral suasion, which is a function of the government of God, is manifest in the government of God, moral suasion. This is the way the Spirit of God moves in the world. He moves by way of persuasion or to moral suasion or moral persuasion. He brings his influence to the spirit of mankind, to the hearts of men, and endeavors to persuade them to come and acknowledge the truth. The Antichrist, as typified in Antiochus Epiphanes, was not interested in that. He was not interested in permitting any kind of free choice. He relied upon the god of forces or strongholds or fortresses. And it was power and it was force that he was interested in. This is precisely what these groups now that are forming and increasingly manifesting in our societies and being welcomed by people by the hundreds of thousands and agreed with as they project their deception into our culture. This is almost unbelievable if we hadn't been warned that it would come. We could not possibly believe it. But we have been warned that it would come and it is coming and it is here. Right now it's here. Now I want to des- describe and compare and contrast a couple of, a couple of uh, movements or, or powerful influences in the world right now. On the left side we see a, the progressive mob rule the ones that I've been speaking about this morning, very violent, willing to uh, force individuals to kneel, force individuals to confess. Black Lives Matter is an example of this. They're not interested in moral persuasion. They're interested in force. They're interested in violence. They're interested in, in forcing individuals to accept their rule. They want to refashion the world according to a, uh, an image that they have in mind. But underneath, underneath, below the foundation of this movement and all these movements in Western societies is the demonic influence. It is um, promoted by the spirit of Antichrist, demonic, satanic, underneath it, foundation level. Make no mistake, that's what it is. And it has all the character and it manifests the character of Antichrist. You can see it. On the other hand, and I'll put it over to the right side by way of comparison, is radical Islam. And this involves forced submission to Islam. It involves forced conversion. Again, the god of forces or strongholds. Or fortresses. It uh, it 
typifies, it, uh, it manifests minority rule by force. The way in which Islam is moves and is spread throughout the world is it is spread by force and it's spread by violence. And it is a minority group then assuming control over the majority of the people. Now underneath, below the foundation of this radical form of Islam, which those who have studied Islam very well tell us this is the true form of Islam, underneath and the foundation of this is the demonic realm, the satanic influence that inspires it. And you see the spirit of Antichrist manifest in it. Now, both of these, and they're very different, because the views of the progressive left, in many respects, are completely opposed to the views of Islam. You, you cannot reconcile between the views. And yet you both are inspired from a, the, the demonic, satanic realm. And both are manifesting into the world at the same time, the spirit of Antichrist. And there will come a time as we move into the future when one will consume the other. Do you have any thoughts on which one will consume the other? Let me suggest to you this morning that the Islam will consume this progressive, mob rule, violent, liberal movement that we see in Western societies now. It will, the two will walk close together and will appear to support each other for a period of time, as they are now. But the time will come when Islam will consume this progressive, left-leaning, mob rule mentality we see now. Islam will consume it. And that will be the period of time in which we will see the personification of, his, of Antichrist or the Antichrist appearing in the form of a human being in the earth. Now in Daniel chapter 11 and verse 45, as I come to a conclusion, the angel Gabriel speaking to Daniel said, finally, when he pitches, speaking about the type, Antiochus, the type of Antichrist, he said, finally, when he pitches the tents of his palace between the seas and the mountain of the holy glory, he will come to his end with no one to help him. And so the angel Gabriel speaks about the demise and the end of this type of Antichrist. But the Antichrist himself that is yet future, who will manifest in the earth, will come to an end in this very similar way. He will come to an end and meet his demise on the mountains of Israel. This was true then with the type, and this will be true in the future with the anti-type or the fulfillment of the type or the Antichrist as he is manifest in the future. This Antichrist that will be manifest in the future, and we see the spirit of now manifesting in a very rapid way in the earth, especially in Western societies. We see a branch of progressivism manifesting, manifesting it. We see a branch of radical Islam manifesting it. 
we will see them appearing to cooperate. We will see Islam consume this progressive left. Then we will see the appearance of Antichrist in the world, personified. And his demise will be met on the mountains of Israel, just as was true of the type will be true of the antitype. And we know from Second Thessalonians chapter 2 how he will meet his demise. He will meet his demise by the appearing of the Lord. It says the Lord will slay him by the breath of his mouth and by the brightness of his coming, the holiness, the light of the coming of Messiah Jesus, the word that comes forth from his mouth that is described as a sword will destroy this Antichrist. He will be slain by it. Now, I find it very interesting that even though some of the theologians, for example, in the 16th century, one of the very influential theologians in commenting on Daniel, that some of the chapters that we have read and discussed this morning, there was a French theologian who was referred to often by many of the theologians during the uh, Reformation, and his theologian's name was Calmet. For example, in Joseph Benson's commentary on Daniel, he, he refers to Calmet and says that Calmet observes, however, at the close of the chapter. Now, Benson is referring to Calmet's uh, writing and observations on the book of Daniel and on this 11th chapter. He says, Calmet observes, however, at the close of the chapter, it is necessary to acknowledge that Antiochus was one of the most manifest and the most expressive figures of Antichrist, and that these things which the angel foretold of Antiochus will receive a further accomplishment before the end of the world. And so we see, even going back to the 16th century, commentaries by some of the leading theologians then realized that even though Antiochus was a type of this, he was not the ultimate fulfillment of this, and that the ultimate fulfillment would be yet in the distant future. And so we await. And so we see the unfolding of events. And I believe that if we, uh, I believe that the watchmen uh, in various parts of the world now are being called to a place from which vision is made possible. And so we have an opportunity of hearing and seeing those things that are coming. And so until the coming of the Lord, until the fulfillment of all of these great things, until then the watchman will call out the time and the nearness to that great morning that is coming even back in that time, people would say, Watchman, what of the night? Meaning, Watchman, what time is it? How long will it be until morning? And in a sense, we do the same now as we call out to the Lord and hear from those whom He calls to be Watchman. And we say, Watchman, what of the night? 
What time is it? How long will it be until morning? But the morning that we're referring to is that final morning, that great morning at the return of Messiah that awaits us all. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Amen.